The regression of the San Jose Sharks continues as they part ways with Evander Kane. Probably a move that we expected, but a sign that changes might be coming uh, to the Shark Tank. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins are doing all they can to delay the inevitable changes that will happen to them in the not-too-distant future. They're still winning for the time being. The Edmonton Oilers, who are expected to do a lot of things this year, are suddenly struggling after a red-hot start. Can they turn the ship around? Episode 302 of the Lace Smoke Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. Uh, our appetizer topic for this week, Brett, Evander Kane officially out of San Jose. Yeah, um, I guess it's it, this is an interesting case just because um, I didn't know you could do this, but... Yeah, so the, San, yesterday, San Jose officially terminated Evander Kane's contract. Um, however, a grievance was filed by the NHLPA last night, so now we await the next steps in the process. Um, Kane is a UFA, but ground rules need to be set on how that can be unfolded. I read that verbatim from what Elliot Freeman just tweeted out uh, an hour ago. Uh, so it seems like there this isn't the end of the story just yet, but... I guess at the moment, it seems that Evander Kane has been, his contract has been terminated. Um, what's interesting too is I guess this isn't like a, a buyout or something like that. And we don't really know how Evander Kane was able to like, like you can just terminate a contract like this as opposed to like what Tony D'Angelo did last year. Um, where I guess maybe Evander Kane broke some team rules or something like that so that they could get out of this contract. So um, without like any penalty, that that part I don't necessarily understand. But uh, but yeah, I guess it, it is good news for the Sharks that they're able to offload $7 million um, off their cap so that they don't have to worry about him anymore. Um, however, I do think a team is going to sign him. Uh, now, especially now that his contract is terminated um, and they don't have to pay him $7 million, uh, he can go to anywhere else he wants to go, uh, assuming that, like, he didn't, like, go, like, he didn't, like, have some get arrested or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see him on another team very, very soon. So what led to uh, this uh, dismissal, uh, San Jose cited a breach of his NHL standard player contract and for violating the AHL. Oh, wow. Emphasis on the AHL's COVID-19 protocols. Uh, Elliot Friedman, speaking of which, uh, in his latest 32 Thoughts segment, um, he broke down uh, the exact grounds behind the cited breach. He says, quote, With support of the National Hockey League, the Sharks are alleging that Evander Kane who tested positive for COVID on December 21st, keep in mind, he faked his vaccine card and was suspended prior to this, made a flight to Vancouver December 29th. They are saying he did not have permission to take that flight, did not have the medical clearance to take it, and that is what's being disputed. The quote continues, also they said he was supposed to return to San Jose 
uh, the Barracudas of the AHL, not uh, the big league team, on December 31st. He did not come back until January 6th. That is also being disputed. So there are other implications to this. You also have to factor in the gambling allegations, the allegations that uh, his now ex-wife has made about Evander Kane. Right. And all of this played into factory. This, this is the final nail in the coffin for Vander Kane and San Jose. This wasn't the only thing uh, wrong with the Evander Kane situation. There were other factors that led to this. This was just the final one where they said, okay, that's it. We've had enough. He can't even follow the protocols in the AHL. We're done with him. We're done. Yeah. So they, they, they cut bait. They, especially with that kind of contract, they can't be just spending money on, on, I'm not going to call it Vander Kane waste potential in the AHL, but until further notice, that is what it is. Like, Vander Kane's a great player, but the stuff behind the scenes, it's just becoming too toxic, and you can't have that dragging down the organization. And yes, I'm all for second chances, but Vander Kane needs help right now. He needs time away from the rink. He needs to, obviously, there are debts and bills that he has to pay no question about it but i i want to see a changed man before he plays another nhl game before he even takes part in another practice so while i think there is interest in evander kane and there should be because of his talent there shouldn't be because of everything else that's happened right now everything that needs to be sorted with evander kane so if I'm the NHL teams, resist the urge. If the talent is still there in a couple of years, he will get his shot in a couple of years or however long it takes for him to get the help that he needs. But he needs the help that he needs first. I said it a couple months ago, and I'm standing by it. Uh, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. He does. It does seem like there is some mental health thing, or at the very least, he has some gambling addiction type thing going for him. However, I don't think that's going to happen uh, just from the history of what the NHL has done in the past. They always take yeah. back these guys as soon as they can. In, in fact, uh, further evidence, Logan Malou is back in the OHL right now. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think... Uh, maybe we won't see him this season, but I would be shocked if he's not in the NHL next year. Um so, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate because I do agree with you, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think they're, uh, like, the NHL is very lenient um, if a player has talent um, despite whatever personality issues he has. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just the way it is, the way the world works. Um, all right, so now um, we're going to go on to the main topic here. Um, the Penguins, uh, so we have two, uh, two teams that we're going to talk about right now. Um, they've always felt like they've been kind of connected as of recently. And even in the 80s when they had Gretzky and Lemieux, um, and now they have Crosby and McDavid. So it's, it's always been like they've just gotten lucky with the draft lottery and all that stuff. But... Um, the uh, so we're gonna, but however, they're both um, one team is uh, doing really, really well, um, and then the other team not so well. So we figured we'd talk about them. We also talked about McDavid and Drysaddle last week, so we'll talk about uh, when we get to the Oilers, we'll, we'll talk about the other team, the other players on that team as well. But um, 
Yeah, so the, the Penguins have been uh, really hot. Uh, they were just on a 10-game winning streak, but they lost to the Dallas Stars uh, pretty recently. Um, however, what's impressive about this team is that, yeah, Crosby and Gensel have been really good. Malkin's not even on the team, though. But what, what is has been really impressive is the fact that um, there's guys like Evan Rodriguez, Brian Rust, Casper Kapanen, uh, Jeff Carter, Danton Heinen. Um, you, like, I mean, yeah, Chris Letang, I guess, <laughs> as well. But we all know that he's pretty good. But, like, those are guys that are, like, um, either, like, have been depth players. I mean, I guess they still are depth players. But, like, you know, the, Jeff Carter, we knew, had been pretty good a couple of years ago. But... He kind of has had a bounce back year. Evan Rodriguez, he was pretty good on, on Buffalo, but again, it's Buffalo. So it's like, uh, how do you know that? Um, and then once he's given a lot of ice time because Malkin's not there, uh, all of a sudden he has 30 points in 34 games. Um, so I, I took a look at how many, uh, just like in terms of points, in terms of during this streak, that happened and, and all that stuff. It's still pretty impressive. Uh, Crosby still has more points than, um, or leads the team in points in these 11 games. I included the one game that they lost. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Crosby has 16 points in 11 games. Latang has 15 points in 11 games. And then Gensel has 14 points in six games. So that's, you know, that's kind of typical because those are your three best players. That's kind of what should happen. But then what's crazy, and I think that was kind of a knock on the Penguins, is like their their depth isn't as good, which I, I guess isn't as tr isn't true anymore. Um, <laughs> for instance, Brian Russ, is this right? He has 11 points in three games in his last three games? That can't be right. It, it should be um, worth noting that I believe Brian Rust uh, missed time um, okay. due to whether it's injury or COVID. He did miss some time, and he's only played in 15 games this year. But yeah. in those 15 games overall, he has 20 points. So those 11 points in three games doesn't surprise me because I have seen a lot yeah. of Twitter talk on Brian Rust, and it's been awfully positive lately. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking here. So January 2nd when he played the Sharks, uh, he had three goals and two assists. Then the next game, he had two goals and one assist. And then the next day, he had two goals and one assist. So, uh, so yeah, he's, I, I guess that is right. Wow. Um, yeah. you, you give him premier minutes with top-line players, and he yeah, can do damage. I, guess that's what I, I mean, Brian Russ has been pretty – to his credit, he, he is kind of an underrated player. He was – he's been pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I, I, I would say the past three seasons yeah. when he's gone to, like, the point-of-game pace, yeah. um, you could make an argument, like, if he's not the most underrated, he's definitely top five most underrated players in the NHL over the yeah, past Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. Uh, it's just uh, – it was crazy. Yeah, I'm looking here to the 2019-2020 season – uh, so that was the bubble year. He had 56 points in 55 games. Um, and then last year, he had 42 points in 56 games. And then this year, he has 20 points in 15 games. So I guess that is kind of um, par for the course. But that's it's also like he's, doing, he's, he's having the best season of his uh, career, even though he's only played 15 games. I guess the, a knock would be that he always seems to get injured because he can't play a full season. But... Um, but yeah, once you're playing, it doesn't matter. Um, 
And then, yeah, as I mentioned, Evan Rodriguez, he had 30 points in 34 games. Uh, he's leading the team, or he's uh, second, uh, leading the team in se second. Sorry, I can't speak, apparently. Um, he's second in scoring with the team with 30 points in 34 games. Uh, Jake Ensel has the most points with 34 points in 28 games. Um, to answer that question. Um, so Evan Rodriguez during this time has 14 points in 11 games. Uh, that's pretty good. Jeff Carter, I want to mention as well, seven points in eight games. Brian Dumoulin, who's more known as his, like, a shutdown defenseman, but he he's getting in on some of the points, seven points in 11 games. Uh, John Marino, who had a bit of a, a rough start last year, or rough season last year, he has five assists in 11 games. Uh, Danton Heinen, uh, I, I miss I miss that guy. Seven points in eleven games, um, as well. So, yeah, I, I guess that's uh, that's quite a lot. There's also Teddy Bluger, who I want to shout out, um, and Casper Kapanen. But um, but actually, now that I'm looking at it, they're not as impressive. Anyways, um, so uh, yeah, I, I guess, and then I, I guess from a goaltending standpoint. Um, What's his face? Uh, Tristan Jari has been the the main guy there. Uh, he's seven one um, and zero. Uh, he has a nine twenty six save percentage, a GAA of one point eight eight. Um, and then Casey DeSmith. Um, I don't think he Casey DeSmith even played last year, but uh, when he um, but now he. Uh, he had um, he's uh, three three and one um, with an eight 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 save percentage, so that's not good. And a three point four seven. Let me look at Tristan Jari's full season because I was just looking at it during his streak. So in twenty seven uh, games that Tristan Jari has played, he's seventeen six and zero uh, with a one point nine four GAA and a nine thirty one save percentage. That may actually be the, the real reason why the Penguins are doing so well. Like, yeah, you're getting a lot of... Um, you're doing really well with Gensel, Rodriguez, Latang, Crosby, and Russ, which is you know which are all good players, but um, Tristan Jari is on a Vezina level right now. Um, and, yeah, so he's, he's just been really, really good. Um, so I guess the question for you is, uh, can the Penguins keep this up and make the playoffs? Uh, right now, actually, even despite this hot start, they're still fourth in the Metropolitan Division somehow. Um, but I, I do think that they are going to make the playoffs um, just because they are, like, the Atlantic Division isn't as strong um, and, and that they're good enough to be in the wild card at the very least. So um, you're right, Tristan Jerry, um, over the course of the regular season has definitely been a difference maker for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And when the Pittsburgh Penguins have faltered, it's usually because they haven't gotten that big save from their goaltender that they desperately needed. Um, you look at the Islanders series last year in round one, there were a couple of instances where the Penguins seemed to have the momentum and just a fluke play would happen the Islanders would get a goal and they would take the game over from there. 
Um, so the fact that Tristan Jerry is putting up these numbers, a 1.94 GAA and a 931 save percentage, coupled with three shutouts and 17 wins is pretty impressive. He's averaged, I think, 28, 29 shots faced per start this year, which I would say is around the league average. Uh, so he is currently... Uh, he's currently faced the ninth most shots out of uh, registered goaltenders this year. Uh, he's eighth in saves with 707 at the moment. Also has two assists uh, to pad his stats there. So a 17-6-4 record. I would call that Vesna caliber numbers uh, from Tristan Jury, and that has definitely made uh, a world of difference uh, from the Penguins. And the next team that we're going to talk about um, later on in this episode uh, goaltending is a big reason why they are where they are uh, for maybe different reasons. Um, taking a look at the Penguins as a whole, Gensel is first on the team with 18 goals in 28 games. So the goals per game, you'll love to see that. Uh, 34 points overall. Uh, and uh, I believe that's top 25, top 30 in league scoring, those 34 points. Also has 103 shots and is averaging 19 minutes uh, per game. So that's around uh, top 30, top 40 in shots on goal across the league, too. Only four power play goals. That's the interesting thing with the Penguins is that you would ex expect, you know, with Crosby and Gensel, you would get a fair amount of power play production. These are the amount of goals. These are the amount of power play goals scored by the Penguins this year. Zucker has one. Carter has one. Heinen has two, Brian Rust has three, Gensel has four, and Evan Rodriguez has six, which leads the team. That's basically all of their power play goals this season. So not nearly as high as maybe a team like the Edmonton Oilers, for example. Um, but when you look at the game winning tallies, you have 11 different players that have scored at least one game winner. Matheson and Gensel are at the top of the leaderboard with three. There are four others. Crosby, McGinn, Kapanen, and Rodriguez have posted two. And then these five players have posted a game-winning goal. Jeff Carter, Chris Letang. Chris Letang, by the way, only has one goal. So the only goal he scored has been the eventual game winner. Brian Rust also has a game winner. So does Danton Heinen. So has Dominic Simone, who is back with the Penguins this year. Um, so, like you said, you're starting to see the depth forwards there. The biggest surprise out of all these guys is Evan Rodriguez, who I know there was a bit of hype uh, going into the NHL for this kid, and rightfully so. He's averaged 17 minutes and 34 seconds vice time per game. Six of his 15 goals have been on the power play. He has 30 points in 34 games, by far, in a way, a career year for him so far. If you look at the shots on goal and where it ranks in the entire league, 117 shots on goal, he's 10th. Yeah. And the guys ahead of him are Ovechkin, Connor, Pasternak, Matthews, Ehlers, Meyer, McDavid, Yossi, and Tarasenko. Those are the nine guys ahead of him in the shots on goal department. And a big reason, in the past we've also talked about it, a big reason why the Penguins have been so good is Mike Sullivan continuing to make the most out of what he's got. Despite key injuries to key players, this team, for whatever reason, even though they have their lulls they're able to get positive results out of these players. Chris Letang, yes, he's getting older, but he has 28 points in 30 games, still averaging 25 minutes per game, actually nearing 26 minutes per game this year. 
Um, and only one goal to show for it. But he's got 10 power play assists. He's got 27 assists in 30 games. A plus 13 rating. Looking pretty good for his age. Uh, you look at someone like Jeff Carter, 18 points in 28 games. That's pretty good depth scoring there. Brian Russ, 20 points, 9 goals in 15 games. Love to see that. Casper uh, Kapanen, 18 and 33. Danton Heinen, 16 and 34. John Marino on the back end, he's got 15 and 34. I know last year wasn't the best of years for him, but he's starting to pick it up there, which is good. Uh, Teddy Bluger, Brock McGinn, Mike Matheson, Jason Zucker, they've all had their moments too. Uh, Marcus Peterson uh, has 10 points in 30 games, considering that he's more of a shutdown defenseman and he's averaging less than 17 minutes per game. I would say that's pretty good production from him. So they're getting production from a lot of different uh, sources. It's not just Sidney Crosby. It's not just Jake Gensel. It's not just Brian Rust. And while those guys have definitely been the reason why they've been so successful, the depth scoring has really shined at key moments for this team. And they've gotten the timely saves that uh, they've, they've looked at. In terms of will Pittsburgh make the playoffs, that's honestly a tough call for me to say. Even though I have been impressed by their recent streak of dominance, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a playoff team. And part of the reason is because that division is so good. Yeah. We look at the Washington Capitals and the record that they've posted, the Rangers surging. You have the Flyers and the Islanders that have had expectations going into this year. If one of them or both of them pick it up, who really knows what could happen? Columbus probably won't make the playoffs, but they're a team that seems to play with a lot of fight, with a lot of honor. They're not going to roll over and die. Neither is New Jersey. There's going to be a lot of competitive competition uh, in this division, and it's going to continue. We, we could see COVID cases hit the Penguins, knock on wood, that doesn't happen, but it could. It's happened with a lot of teams. So there could be a COVID outbreak that derails their momentum. Um, you look at some of the teams that they've played, like Tampa Bay and Florida, uh, Toronto, they've had their number as well. There's no reason that uh, to say when they go up against the good teams, they can't beat the good teams anymore because they have beaten the good teams this year. But as streaky as Pittsburgh has been on the win side, they've also gone into a couple of losing skids. Um, there was a stretch in late October where they lost to Tampa. Then they got shut out by Calgary. Then they lost to New Jersey. So that was uh, three in a row that they lost. Um, then they lost to Minnesota and Chicago. Uh, not long after that, uh, a loss to Ottawa sprinkled in with a few wins. They got blown up by the Capitals. Then they lost to the Sabres. Uh, they lost to Montreal, although you could argue they probably should have won that game with the amount of shots they had on Jake Allen. Then they lost to the Flames and the Oilers. So there have been a couple of spurts where the Penguins have definitely looked human. Mm. And that could easily happen again. So I, I would say it's 50-50. I'm not cementing them as a playoff team. If they get into the playoffs, I could see it more likely that they're a wild card. Um but it, I could also see a scenario where if they're a streaky team, maybe they surprise everyone and win the division. Who really knows? Uh, what I do know is is that nobody's position has been secured. There's still a lot of hockey to be played, and a lot could still happen where uh, the Penguins' fate could swing a bunch of different ways. 
Yeah, uh, well, what's, <laughs> what is funny is you, you've been more critical about the Penguins than... than yeah, I, I've been waiting else. for the regression, and yeah, they keep proving happen, me wrong, which I love to see, don't get me wrong, yeah. but at some point, what I've seen in hockey is dynasties crumble. And as the core starts to age, that scenario becomes a lot more likely. Yep. And they're starting to look like a team that if they make the playoffs, they're a first-round exit. Yep. Where you don't expect them to go deep. And but, eventually, that turns into struggles to make the playoffs, period. Yeah, I, I guess it's, it is true. I, I do still... Now I have flashbacks of Tristan Jari in the last playoffs where he just uh, crumbled. <laughs> But I, I don't think that that's like a precursor that like he's always going to crumble in the playoffs. That that's right, just, yeah. if you think that way, then that's like that's just a weird way to think, I guess. <laughs> but um, so so like I I don't know. I guess Tristan Jari has been a lot better this season. He's playing the best in his career right now. Just looking at his stats, so um, yeah, I could see it continuing, but we'll see. I don't know. And also, when you mentioned those early games and how they started. Uh, most of those games they didn't have Sidney Crosby in, um, so we're, and True. we're seeing it, and we're seeing a different team than we were uh, back then. So that's that's something you have to consider. And I think Jake Gensel also missed some time, so mm-hmm. so it's not like it was the same team. And also that brings me to my other point: is Evgeny Malkin isn't even playing right now. He hasn't even played a game yeah. just yet. So um, I am curious to see what's going like if this is how good they are without their second best player, or I guess third best player, you could make a case that Gensel's their second best player, but um, without their second or third best player, I'll say, um, like, imagine how good they will be once Malkin comes along. So, um, and I know Malkin struggled last season, but maybe it is an injury thing, and he's just waiting to get healthy and all that stuff. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, I also also think... uh, the goaltending situation uh, could prevent them from taking the next step forward. Not necessarily Tristan Jerry, but Casey DeSmith. Part of the reason why Tristan Jerry has played a lot of games is because whenever Casey DeSmith has played, he hasn't really looked that impressive. Right. Not saying they're going to go out and bring Marc-Andre Fleury back and appease the fans, but I could see them making a move for someone like, I don't know, a Jonas Corpusalo perhaps. Maybe. Um, to, to up their goaltending so that if Jerry does struggle – they have someone reliable that they can turn to. I don't think, I don't think really DeSmith has proven that this year anyway that he can be a reliable option behind Jerry. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll see. Um, so what's interesting is now that I'm looking at the, uh, so now we move on to the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, I guess this was unintentional, but uh, on December 1st, the Oilers actually beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Penguins uh, afterwards started to go on a 10-game winning streak. The Oilers went on a six-game losing streak after after that win yep. against the Penguins. Uh, so, yeah, they, they lost to this, the Kraken, the Kings, the Wild, the Bruins, the Hurricanes, and the Maple Leafs. And a few of those, or pretty much most of them, were home games at that. So that you can't even say, like, oh, well, they were away. Let's not take that too seriously, but you can't really do that. Um, but then they end up winning against Columbus. They win against Seattle. Then the COVID stuff happens. Um, they were a team that was affected by COVID. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I know, had COVID. 
uh, but I think there was a few others, but they were highly affected, but they were. Um, I also know that uh, McDavid recently got COVID or was on the COVID protocol list. So, so that's something to take into account during all this is that they were dealing with COVID, although, albeit a lot of teams were. Um, yeah. But, but they, uh, they got a, four games postponed uh, just because of that border issue where Canadian teams weren't allowed to play American teams uh, for a time. Um, and, then, um, and then afterwards, when everything uh, after Christmas they uh, they go on to a five game losing streak and they're still on a five game losing streak. Um, and it looks like they haven't played in a long while. Um, so they they just have six games that have been postponed. Um, so so I, I guess you could say that they um, you know they just got an unlucky with COVID and all that stuff. But there are when you look behind the wheel in a lot of these things you could say that there are some concerning things that are going on right now um so to start off i uh, i guess uh we'll we'll go with um the edmonton oilers their their goaltending um so uh the during this time i also checked these stats of like how they've done in the last month um since those two losing streaks. Uh, so uh, they've started three goalies. Um, Miko Koskinen um, has played in six games. He hasn't, he didn't win any of those games. Uh, so he went 0 5 and 1 with a 3.99 GAA and an 8, um, 866 save percentage. So that's not good. Uh, Stuart Skinner, um, he was the only one to, the only goalie to win those two games. Um, in 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 this month, um, but he went two and two. Uh, also, not great uh, from a save percentage um, or GAA per perspective because he had a three point oh five GAA during this time and a save percentage of eight ninety nine. And then we go to Mike Smith, who's been kind of cr in and out of the injury locker thing. Um, he, uh, he keeps on getting injured, and then he doesn't get injured. Um, but, uh, yeah, during this time, he um, he's 0-2-1 uh, um, with a uh, 4.37 GAA and a save percentage of 8.77. Um, it looks like he's back to health again, but who really knows. And also, I... I sh um, it, uh, he, I should mention that, like, he lost to Toronto on January 5th, um, but he had, um, and that was, uh, he had a 906 save percentage at that point. So, um, so yeah, it's, I, I guess that was, that's always been, like, a, a thing with the Oilers in the past has been, like, yeah, we know that they have McDavid, we know that they have Dreisaitl, um, who are both the best players um, in this in the league, but if they can't, um, you know, their their death pieces and their goaltending have always been an issue. Um, and uh, during this time, uh, McDavid and Drysaddle have been the best players, um, with uh, even still. Um, but it's it's still like it's kind of like it's like 
we kind of expect more from McDavid and Drysdale because if you look at their numbers in the past month, uh, McDavid has 13 points in 12 games. Um, Drysdale has 12 points in 13 games, so that's not bad. Um, obviously, any like I would kill that. I would kill for that for like Pasta or Marchand or whatever. But for for uh, for McDavid and Drysdale, like like you would kind of expect them to be a little bit even more than a point per game player. So it's a little bit disappointing. Um, and then their next best uh, scorer is uh, Evan Bouchard. He has six points in 13 games. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who has had a COVID battle as well, as I mentioned. But during that time, he still had six points in nine games. Jesse Pugliarvi has six points in 11 games. Kair uh, Yamamoto um, has six points in 13 games. So yeah, there, there's been a, and then like uh, Tyson Berry has slowed down four points in 12 games. Um, Duncan Keith has three points in seven games. Zach Cassian has three points in seven game, uh, nine games. Zach Hyman, three points in 10. Uh, Cody Cece, three points in 10. Warren Fogel, four points in 13. So it's, um, so like <laughs> those numbers are kind of concerning. Um, and I should mention that it looks like uh, McDavid, Bouchard, Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto, uh, Tyson Berry, Warren Fogel are all on COVID protocol right now. So, so that's something to consider. And they don't play again um, until December, uh, until, sorry, um, January 15th. So, um, and they already have a bunch of other games that have been postponed so um in the meantime so it's um and i wouldn't be shocked if that january 15th game that would be uh, this saturday um in ottawa where they ottawa um that gets postponed too but we'll see um so so yeah i i guess it, it's hard to tell how much of their 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 rough go right now is due to COVID um, or if it's like their their weak spots have gotten the better of them um, and like because what was interesting is they were on a hot streak uh, to start the year they had five uh, I think they started off with uh, let me see here uh, they were 10 and 1 to start the year um, so oh, sorry 9 and 1 to start the year so they did. They did look pretty good um, to start, but uh, but yeah, it seems like they are now faltering. Um, they are now six in the Pacific Division. 18, 14, and two is their record. Um, so um, yeah, the my question here is: Will the Oilers figure it out? And if so, how? Um, I I think to answer my own question, I I think the Oilers will figure it out. Um, but it's also like, I don't know, like, I, I think they do need to make some changes. Um, I'm not really sure how the, cause I feel like the, the Koskinen Mike Smith experiment is not going to work. It hasn't worked in the past and that would be their downfall if they end up making the playoffs is their goaltending. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe they try to get Marc-Andre Fleury, um, 
through during the trade deadline. I'm trying to think of like who else would be out there in terms of goaltending, but they need to they need to fix this goaltending somehow. And uh, I don't think Koskinen or Mike Smith are the answer. Something that I've harkened back to quite a few times, Brad. What did I say about Smith and Koskinen? Uh, like heading into this season, the Oilers definitely made a lot of changes. Uh, they definitely changed their roster at points, uh, swapping out uh, Ethan Bear for Warren Fogle, um, not re-signing Adam Larson and bringing in Duncan Keith instead, trading away yeah. Caleb Jones in the process of doing that. And all of those goalies are available. Oh, and they also got Zach Hyman. Yep. He's been good. All of, and, and re-signed Eugene Hopkins, too. Yeah. So both um, of them have been good, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they definitely made some changes or just like, okay, I can, I can see how this could make them a better team. But remember I said, I wasn't sure if they improved in the right areas. The fact that they had so many goalies on the free agent market to choose from. And a few of them, a few of those options were better than the tandem that they had right now. And they still stuck with the same tandem. And now you're going into this offseason where the goalie availability is not as fast as it was the year prior. And your goaltending team is still Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. And the crazy twist is the guy who has posted the best goals against average and the best save percentage this year is Stuart Skinner. In yeah. nine starts, 10 games played, he's 4-5-0. and oh, with a 2.70 GAA and a 9.16 save percentage. That's pretty good. Yeah. But he's only played in 10 games, starting nine of them. Mike Smith, huge season for him last year. Six starts. He's 2 2 and 1 with a 3.76 GAA and an 8.98 save percentage. When he hasn't been hurt in those six games, he's still trying to find his rhythm. And Miko Koskinen looked pretty good to start, but those numbers are starting to slip. He's 12-7-1 with a 900 save percentage and a GAA of 3.19. The reason I mentioned the goaltending is, in particular, it's been put into focus this past week. It was after, I think, a 4-1 loss to the Rangers, where head coach David Tippett called out Miko Koska. I wouldn't say called out, but said that goal to start the game, I'm not saying like verbatim what the quote was, but he wasn't really thrilled about that first goal to start the game. And when your team is reeling as much as the Oilers have been lately, when after that game, I think they'd scored, I think they'd given up the first goal in 20 of 24. When you give up the first goal that many times, that's not necessarily a recipe for long-term success. Right. When you're constantly behind the eight ball to start the game, like the Oilers have been. So they really didn't need a setback like that to go against them. And especially against a, a high-scoring team like the Rangers, you can't give them that opportunity. Because in the in the past, I think they were down like 3 nothing to the Rangers, but they fought back, and McDavid scored that ridiculous goal, and they won in overtime. But that was about six, seven, eight weeks ago, and a lot has changed since then. The Rangers have found their rhythm, and the Oilers have struggled to find theirs to the point where I think record-wise over the past 12, 13, 14, 15 games – I think the Coyotes have a better win percentage than the Oilers do. And the Coyotes are clearly bad. Yeah. And clearly inferior to the Oilers right now. 
So to, you can't be in the same conversation as the Coyotes, especially when you have two generational players like McDavid and Drysdale leading the league in scoring like they have. So, so that's one thing. So Dave Tippett is critical of the Oilers' goaltending on that play, and Miko Koskinen responds, and his quote was, let me pull it up here. He says, it's not nice being thrown under the bus. I have to be better, but at the same time, we've scored seven goals in my last six losses. I can't score goals. He does have a point, but the way that message is phrased is not particularly kind yeah. to anyone. Like, he's not helping anyone by making that comment. So you can clearly see there's a little bit of tension there. And when you saw the Penguins in 2008 make the playoffs and go to the finals, and last year they're near the bottom of the Eastern Conference, they make a coaching change, they ditch Michelle Therrien for Dan Bilesma, and the ship gets turned around, they go to the finals again, and they win the whole thing. We all know how that story ends. So after all of the after all of the changes that Ken Holland has made this offseason to try to in in his hopes improve this team and they're actually record wise worse off than they were last year even though you know they were playing only Canadian teams and people will put an asterisk on that until the cows come home even still the Oilers can still be a lot better especially in a division where I think it's very very I wouldn't say winnable for the Oilers because now Vegas has, has learned how to win hockey games consistently again. But at the very least, finish in the top three. I definitely think that's realistic for the Oilers. And that's not a sure thing because all of a sudden Anaheim is good again. Mm-hmm. And you still have Calgary to worry about and a couple of other dark horses that may or may not surprise. There's no guarantees that the Oilers are really going to turn this ship around. So at this point, you're starting to wonder, okay, do we need to make a coaching change here? Because there are some names, John Tortorella, that maybe could turn the ship around in, in fast order with just a simple change in approach to a couple of things. And they definitely need to improve on their goaltending. So you mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury, Brett. That is the name that the Oilers need because he's a veteran goaltender Everywhere he's gone, he's had a positive impact on the team. He keeps it loose in the locker room. He has a fun time playing the game. But this guy balls out. Even at his age, you look at the rough start that Chicago had. No one was playing well. Chicago makes that coaching change, and Fleury's numbers improve. So I still think there's plenty left in the tank for Marc-Andre Fleury to make a legitimate run with the Edmonton Oilers if they get him. So I definitely think that is the main guy that they target, and it's the guy that Mark Andre Fle- uh, that the Edmonton Oilers need is Mark Andre Fleury. And I say that not because Miko Koskinen is a bad goaltender, Mike Smith is a bad goaltender, but they are at the point in their careers, Mike Smith especially, and I think Miko Koskinen. It it it's um, I think we just learned that's the case, where. In certain situations, if you manage their minutes, they will get, they will win games for you and they will play well. But if they are overused, time's ticking. And time is ticking on the Edmonton Oilers with Miko Koskinen because I think he's been overused to the point where he's starting to struggle and the team is going down with him. So they need someone to shore up their goaltending and if Miko if Miko Koskinen plays, you know, the odd like every two max uh, two max uh, 
uh, or actually two minimum, three max. If he plays every second, third, or fourth game, I think you get good results with Koskinen. But if he if he's playing every single game and it's and it's against meaningful teams, I think the weaknesses are going to pile on. So they need a guy like Fleury to kind of right the ship in that regard. So I think they need to change their approach to goaltending. As to whether or not they change their approach on the bench, that could also still happen because you were talking about Dreisaitl and McDavid's numbers. And they were a point a game or just under a point per game over the past 12 or 13 games, like you mentioned. That's still pretty good when you consider the elite talent that they are. But if we're talking about the Edmonton Oilers like, well, if we don't get elite production from McDavid and Dreisaitl, we're toast. Yeah. That is where things start to go south because you're expecting these guys to not only be good but be elite every single time they they play a shift on the ice you're expecting elite performances by them that's what drags teams down you look at teams that have made the playoffs in recent memory and i keep going to them because they've been so successful tampa bay where it's like if steven stamkos goes down okay who cares we still have Braden point we right. still have kutra we still have a lot if one of the other guys goes down it's like okay we still have these three guys we have sorelli as well we have some guys that can also pick up the slack on the third and fourth lines with tampa bay it's, it's no big deal if somebody goes down i guess if vasilevsky is the main guy then they could be in trouble but if one piece goes down they know they can turn to the other pieces and they're like we'll be fine We'll be just fine. But if one of Dreisel or McDavid goes down, are the Oilers in trouble? They they easily could be. Nugent Hopkins has looked pretty good, 26 points in 30 games. Pooley Arby's got 23 and 32. I love to see that. That's great evolution by him. Zach Hyman has 20 points in 31 games, 11 which of goals. I like that. Um, their defense in terms of production has been good. Evan Bouchard leaves the way with 19 and 34. Barry has 17 and 33, which is a downgrade from last year. But still, you look at Nurse, who has 14 and 27. Uh, Cody Cece with 9 and 30. Duncan Keith with 8 and 25. The offense is, for the most part, spread out between five or six guys on the blue line. So at least you're getting some form of defensive production from at least one person. So in that sense, I don't consider their defensive offensive production a, a, a total downgrade and anchor that sinks the ship by any means they've been okay but again you're still expecting elite performances from mcdavid and tricycle because guys like warren fogel are minus eight with 12 points in 34 games yamamoto has three game winners but seven goals and 12 points in 34 games i don't think that's good enough for a, a middle uh for a top nine or at worst, a fourth-line forward. Um, you look at someone like Kyle Turris, who they're expecting to pick up the slack. And, and uh, unfortunately, Kyle Turris has four points, and he's only played in 21 games. He's only averaged 847 over those 21 games. That's not particularly impressive. Brendan Perlini, who they thought was going to be a nice addition to their offensive core, He's averaged 8.32. He's played in only 17 games. He has two goals, one assist. That's it. Derek Ryan, two points in 30 games. He's a minus 13, and he's averaged 11 minutes per game. There's there's a lot to be desired when you start to get into the top nine, the fourth line forwards. 
And that in particular is what really killed the Oilers. And it's what's helping the Penguins because the Penguins are getting that offensive production where the Oilers are lacking. So to answer the question, whether it's goaltending, whether it's depth forwards, whether it's coaching, there is going to have to be at least one change for the Oilers to right the ship. If they continue to play like this and they don't change anything, they will miss the playoffs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, I think we even said that even when they were going through this hot streak as well. So I think there mm-hmm. is something to that. You also do bring up a good point that Stuart, Stuart Skinner has been pretty good. It's just that they've only given him 10 games. Um, and I guess that, you know, he does, he is four and five. So, uh, so maybe there is something to the fact that, um, uh, Maybe he's not the answer to all their solutions and stuff like that. Um, answer to all their, uh, that's not solutions, answer to all their problems. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, maybe that is a start. At least he's doing better than Mike Smith and, and Koskinen are. Um, and I think part of the reason is because he's been utilized in the right situations, true. which uh, unfortunately they haven't been able to do with Koskinen because they have no other choice. They have no other plan B. Yep. If they get a, a guy like you said, Mark andre Fleury, to write the ship, I think things can turn around real quickly for Edmonton. But yep. until that happens, they're really rolling the dice every single time they play. Yep. Um, and then also, like, not to mention, like, Duncan Keith, he hasn't been that good. Uh, Cody Cece, not good either. So, uh, so yeah, it's like they're, they're uh, kind of, I mean, we could have told you any, like, uh, the – Edmonton front office that before they uh, traded for them, but uh, but yeah, that's what they they reap what they sow kind of thing. So we'll see. Um, and and I sort of dis- I do want to bounce back that yes, I agree that the depth is an issue for the Oilers. Um, and if like Mike David and Drysdale all are struggling, then you know the the team is going to be bad, and that's kind of <laughs> that's going to happen. But. Um, but yeah, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is, has been pretty good. I, I do want to say that. Pugliarvi has had his moments as well. I think the thing with mm-hmm. Pugliarvi and Yamamoto in particular is that it seems like they rely particularly on Drysdale McDavid um, and they can't really run plays on their own. So I think like if they, if they aren't, if McDavid or Drysdale are injured, they're in bigger trouble because Puliarvi and Yamamoto aren't as effective uh, because they kind of need one of those guys to to be on their line. Um, so so I, I think there is that sense, and I guess that's kind of what you're saying, but as opposed to like Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman, who are pretty good on their own, in their own right as well. So I, I would like to see more out of Puliarvi and Yamamoto and see how they can... Be, how they can perform without uh, the the two superstars, but I don't know if we'll ever see that happen. But like maybe we'll uh, that could show just how good they could be, but um, but it doesn't look like it right now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I I don't know. I I I actually don't think that I know that the Pacific Division is weaker compared to all the other divisions but I don't know I, I don't th- I feel like the Oilers have put themselves in a hole right now where I, I just don't see them making the playoffs um, maybe they'll get the wild card 
but I, I, I feel like their goaltending and their defensive issues, their depth issues as well, has just been too much of a problem for them. I, I, I get like it's hard to really count out any team that has the two best players in the world. Um, but but yeah, at the same time, I just I just don't see it because it's like they they have larger issues than um, than that uh, McDavid and Drysdale can't fix. So. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. Um, but unless they do go out and get Marc-Andre Fleury or go out and get a goaltender of similar stature, um, and, and try to fix it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think something has to change for sure. And you also have to keep in mind Vancouver that struggled early on. They yep. started to find their game with Boudreaux in the mix. They're eight, one and one in their last 10 games, which yep. Um, I should also point out there, you look at a team like Los Angeles that has scored 97 goals for, to put that in comparison with Edmonton, Edmonton scored 113, so that's a significant edge over the Kings, but the Kings have only given up 93 goals, so that's a plus four differential for them. Edmonton's given up 111, so they only have a plus two goal differential, and that's why the Kings right now are 17, 13, and five on the year. Uh, one point ahead of the Oilers, and they're six, three, and one in their last ten. But again, they're only one point up on the Oilers. In fact, third place Calgary is only two points behind them or uh, ahead of them. Sorry. So you look at third place Calgary to sixth place Edmonton. That's only a two point separation. And in between, you have the Kings and the Sharks, who I still don't know exactly what they are. So that's why I say it's definitely winnable for Edmonton if they play their cards right. But that separation could increase at a gradual rate if the oil if the Oilers don't act fast. So so that's why I say they still have a shot, but changes need to happen first. Right, right. Okay. Um yeah, we'll we'll see. Um it feels like we talk about the Oilers like uh, I guess we talk about the Bruins and the the Sens a lot. But uh, it feels like we talk about the Oilers like every every single t- time. I mean, I guess it makes sense considering McDavid's on the team and Drysdale's on the team. But uh, but it does feel like we we always talk about them. Um, but anyways, um, we'll let's uh, get moving. Our um, you can follow us on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes. Uh, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts, that lays them up. Our Facebook is Lace Up Podcast. Our Twitter is Lace... Oh, wait, wait, I said that wrong. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 303 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. <laughs>